Hey, party people. What's up? And welcome to Cloud Conversations. My name is Azure McFarlane. I'm one of the hosts. And I'm here joined by my friend Kat. And I'm going to yeet the mic to Kat so she can introduce introduce our guest today. You can hey, tell Kat. it's Friday <laughs> <laughs> already. We just had a bit of a kerfuffle. What are we going to do? <laughs> we all need a bit more. Well, I need a bit more coffee anyway. But yes, thanks. I'm amazing. Decaf today, oh, so. <laughs> I'm prepared. Um, so yeah, I'm doing really, really well. And I have the absolute honor and pleasure to introduce uh, Nikki Chapel to the show. Nikki, how are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. And thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here today. No problem at all. We're just saying another all-female episode. You can't go wrong. So uh, it is all good. Um, so let's start. Nikki, do you want to introduce yourself to the audience? What you do? What's your role? How you spend your time? What you specialize in? All of that great stuff. Okay. Yeah, so my name's Nikki Chapel. I'm in the UK near London. Um, I'm a principal cloud architect working for a company called Cloudway. It's a very small company. It's a Norwegian company and it's only... 10 people in the company and it's an absolute pleasure to be working with nine other MVPs so mm -hmm. it's kind of uh, yeah great team working cover cool. everything Microsoft <laughs> 365 and I specialize in Microsoft 365 governance and compliance and really balancing that need between th those roles the security and the compliance roles yet the productivity you know we don't want to lock it all down sort of thing it's getting that balance right so for that secure uh, collaborative uh, working. I've been with them only a few months now, but yeah, it's, it's really great. Um, love it that I can work from home. No more traveling into to London every day on a kind of hour and a half journey each day. So for me, that's kind of a real added uh, uh, bonus there. Um, yeah, so what else? I'm an MVP. So recently MVP, and I'm actually an MVP twin with Kat. We both found Ooh. out the same day that we were MVP. Aww. So it's kind of, yeah, it's a real kind of the icing on the cake, I think, for me to be able to say that I'm an, an MVP now. And yeah, no, it's really, really good. Love Amazing. working with Microsoft. Yeah, I think it's so cool working because I know that Leslie, who we've had on the show before, also works at Cloudway mm. um, and recently joined quite uh, relatively recently as well um mm. and imagine spending your time working with another uh, all your colleagues are mvps and know about the community work and you're mm. sharing tips and you do them together and i just think yeah I, I bet that's so much fun to work with a whole bunch of other people who have the same passion that you yeah, do yeah and what's really good is we have this um, culture no meetings friday where we're actually really encouraged to spend some time and reflect what we've done work with our clients is there things then we can share with the wider community can we create blogs and articles mm -hmm. about what we're doing can we help share you know present information um for, you know, put forward for, for papers at events, etc. So you'll find that, that we're always speaking at events. So I think Commsverse is coming up soon and three out of um, from Cloudway are, you know, all presenting at that event. So yeah, it's really good. I think I did see that on your Twitter. That's the end of June, correct? I think so, yes. Yeah, it's an event. Yeah, so um, yeah, it'd be really nice to actually go and see people. Nikki, I'll be presenting as well, so I'll ah, right. see yeah. you there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I will put the we'll we'll put the link to your your Twitter and whatnot in the in the show notes so people can connect with you. But I saw that tweet and I was like, ooh, okay. At the end of June, you'll be speaking on some stuff. So 
Shameless mm. plug. That's totally okay yeah. if you hear for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And just going back then from your career before Cloudway, um, can you tell us a little bit about how you started in tech, when you started, what roles yeah. you've been involved in? Yeah, um, yeah I've had a, a kind of, I suppose, a long journey into technology. I mean, I suppose it started at school going back before the days of GCSEs when we had sort of O-levels that you did between 14 and, and 16. I think I was the first year that we did the, the computing one. And it was mainly boys in the class. I think it was about <laughs> two or three girls. But that was really interesting kind of getting used to kind of, you know, this is how you can do technology to just do some interesting things. Um, we were using things like, you know, the, uh, was it the, uh, the little Sinclair computers, the ZX 81, and we were having to do things like punched cards, so write in basic. And you filled out this form, and each of this, the, the squares, I think there's like 40 in total, you wrote, wrote out um, each line for your, your basic program. So, I mean, they were quite small then. So, you know, it might be 20 lines. And then that was sent off to the local university where somebody punched the cards up, run it through the computer, and then hopefully by next week, you'd get all your results back. <laughs> and then normally it'd be some like syntax error. And you think, oh, I'll have to wait another whole week now to adapt to this and send it back. So yeah, I mean, it's a completely different way of, of working now. I mean, I, mean I, was, I was lucky we did have computers at home as well. I had a, a father who was um, a university lecturer. So I had kind of um, kind of dabbled a little bit. And then I was just lucky. I got a, a job working uh, in BT in computer operations, just starting at the bottom uh, of, the, of the career working with mainframes. And I kind of spent 16 years there working in a lot of different roles, a um, lot of different opportunities there and really seeing how computer changed over that time, starting off in a, a world where it was computer mainframes and we, we were still punching cards and kind of big open reel discs and kind of, no windows really we were on dos computers floppy disks and you know a lot of them were just green screens and then having seen that whole world change from you know one role i had was managing computer centers so that you know these are huge great big computer centers and the rooms were almost like sizes of football pitches and i used to have to like manage all the different computers there working with the the different engineers on um putting in either mainframe computers or disks etc and um, working out the air conditioning and cabling, etc. And these rooms were so big, I put um, letters down one side of the wall, A to Z, and then I had numbers across the other side. So if somebody came in to change disk, they would said, oh, it's disk number this. I'd have to give them grid directions. Ah, oh, this is in this <laughs> bank of disks. And they'd find oh it because gosh. what would happen is they'd open up the wrong box take mm. out one of the discs and these are like not hot swappable discs you know that it, it, it failed or something and it'd be the wrong disc on the, the wrong computer system and then crash something else yeah it's kind of really diff different and then the world changed and it all started going down into server technology so it was all a case of then closing down a lot of these computer centers because you mm. didn't need as much space anymore and also then you know, Windows came along, there's much more power than to the end users. So it was a real change in the, in the mindset. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm changed out of IT and I went into a marketing role, which is kind oh. of marketing and operations. But it was really at that time with, with um, uh, BT where there was a lot of other operators around and they wanted 
programs to help support their call centers. So that's what I um, developed. I was developing using end user tools, things like Excel lookup sheets, you know, scripts using words and everything for the, the contact center stuff. So it was completely different using the tools that they had to hand on their desktops and how can you maximize the use of that? And I think that's kind of stayed with me throughout my career. It's that translator role between you've got a whole load of tech that people don't really care about unless you're mm. in IT and people that have just not got enough time and all they want to do is have things that are simpler, more efficient, more effective. So I think that's where I can come in of kind of being that translator. How can you maximize those tools? So I yeah. think, yeah, all throughout my career. And then I think finally really getting into Microsoft 365, um, one of my previous companies, I was actually uh, responsible for actually implementing Office 365 at the organization. So it was a yeah, traditional organization, so much, everything on, on premise, everything took so long and so hard to deploy. Then suddenly you've got this really agile tool and you're pushing it out, you're empowering people to do so, so much. And I thought, yeah, wow, this is just so fascinating. People are not using it. You know, they buy these licenses and they just use, oh, let's just use email. You know, they don't use all of the other really um, interesting functionality. So I thought, gosh, I could spend yeah. my whole life trying to learn about it. And uh, yeah, that's where I've been since. Amazing. I think going from the technical side or the working behind the scenes in IT and then having that marketing operations and the, the other side of it, I bet, I bet that's helped you so much. Yeah. In your current and in recent roles, I guess, when working with customers, would that be fair to say yeah yeah because i mean at the end of the day we're using technology to solve business problems yeah you know, we're there to remove blockers you know particularly the governance and compliance stuff we need to make sure that things are kind of safe and secure but at the end of the day you know we're solving problems for business technology is just an enabler so mm -hmm. you know we've got to win those hearts and the minds of, of the users otherwise it's so easy for them to go elsewhere you know everyone's got a phone nowadays you can just kind of download any consumer app and then the companies are wondering, oh, why is everybody using WhatsApp? Yep. Because it's easy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what we need to do is we need to make, you know, business corporate work within Microsoft 365 easy, yet ensure that it's kind of safe and secure. Yeah. I was in a, in a meeting recently with... Um, like some other people just discussing about like Microsoft documentation and whatnot. And sometimes how it's easy for us to understand per se. And sometimes maybe it's not even that because it's written from the perspective, I guess, people that are working with it, but not being able to translate that language to customers. That's a huge gap sometimes. I mean, I, not sometimes, I would say all the time because yeah. we want to make sure that they understand what they're doing too. And like you said, being able to use the full suite or make their processes more robust uh, but if you don't have that interpreter in the middle, how are they supposed to know? Because they're buying a product, but we have to help them understand exactly what it does. And as sometimes I think that um, I've, I've read some documentation that it's not really clear, like what the item itself does. It tells you how to use it, but not actually what its function is. So. Yeah. And I think that's really important. You know, people need to know the why. You know, why am I doing this? What am I doing it? And what's in it for me? You know, I think too often, you know, IT switch things on and then, yeah, tick, that project's finished. I'm off to do something else. And they, they, they forget that, you know, to unlearn something and relearn something can take six months to do. So that's where kind of that whole kind of that change management piece comes in. And people 
are expected to feel uncomfortable with change. It's natural to feel uncomfortable. Everyone's comfortable in their their own happy existence, what they're familiar with, what it's easy. To get someone to do something else, you know, you've got to work with people. So the earlier you get the business on board on any project, the better, because you can uncover those areas where people are unhappy about it. You can understand, you can learn what their concerns are, and then you've got times to address them. And then sometimes by getting those people on uh, early on the project, those as business champions, those sceptical people can then be your business best advocates going forward, really, because they've been through that pain. So they can then help other people go through that pain. Yeah, definitely. That's and I know really, that you, yeah. I know that you um, are ProSci certified as well. So I guess from what you've said, I guess how important is change management when you talk to a customer about governance and compliance putting that in place do you put change management up there as they're both just as important as each other should you start one before the other or how does that work when you talk to customers yeah kind of a lot of the time I don't explicitly talk about change management as a process because a lot of people you know IT people roll their eyes they just think oh it just happens (laughs) you know it just you know it just kind of you know, people just pick it up. So when I'm talking to people, it's really um, important to get the right stakeholders in the room, to get those the business stakeholders in there, to understand all of the different elements that you need to do. And, you know, it starts off with the business, defining their, their wants and needs. Then you look at how technology can implement that. And then you look at how are you going to adopt it. So you've kind of built in that change management process right the way through through the process. But I think it's also important that IT need to go through change management now. Mm. You know, with IT, people have gone from a world where the network was their boundary. Everything was on-premise, on their servers, and the network was, was their, their control and their kind of security defense. Well, with the SaaS applications and now with hybrid working, you know, your applications in the cloud, you can access it from any device, from, from anywhere. It's a different way of working. And again, trying to explain some of the aspects of those kind of governance features um, when people are still kind of thinking of, oh, everything must be behind our network to make it, you know, compliant. Mm-hmm. So it's working with them as well to actually say, this is the art of the possible. Yeah. And these are the changes and it's a cultural mind shift for them as well as a cultural mind shift for the business. So, yeah, you have to look at it at the different levels, really. Definitely. And what if there was a customer, because I know you've sh- you share a lot of tips and tricks and really, really useful information on your blog, which, again, we'll mm. put in the show notes uh, so people can go in and have a look at that. Um, mm. But there's really, really useful uh blogs in there about uh, governance compliance but what to do if you know a cut you're in the situation of a team's sprawl I think that's for yeah. most customers that I speak to they've either gone through that process of been in a sprawl I've I've it's not very often where I've spoken to a customer where they've introduced teams people started using it and it's all great and they've put in a process and you know they've got a nice balance and there's not an overload of teams that are unused and groups and duplication and you know that doesn't happen very often when that you know that's not the case so how would you suggest a customer what's the best place to start I'm a customer in a team sprawl got a huge amount of information what what's my first step to fix that problem can I ask first of all can you explain team sprawl yeah oh, good one. Yeah. yeah so so what is kind of team sprawl it's kind of my analogy 
of it it's a bit like when you've got children and my kids are grown up now but when they were little they loved playing with lego so you say lego time brilliant big box of lego tip it out within five minutes it's all over the house you're treading on it and everything and people are having a, a, a great time and they're using it but then when you say it's tea time you've got to tidy up those kids will disappear and find that they've got homework <laughs> or something far more important to do so it's just left and then imagine that kind of building up over time. You just kind of get more and more clutter on it. And that's really what happens with the teens. It's so easy without any governance at all. People go into that bottom left-hand corner of teams, create a team. I'll create a team for this. I'll create a team for that. So the first one is, is if you don't have a rule book, people just create teams for a conversation, a one-off activity. But people never think about actually deleting a team. So, mm. you know, you, it's easy to create it's easy to use but then you've created a team for a project and the project finishes and then nobody knows exactly what to do with it and mm. you know people forget that teams should be really used for transient type of information and not for long term term storage of content and because they've got content in there and some of it might need to be kept longer term the team remains so what mm. happens over time is you get more and more teams building it. And that causes real frustration to end users because you've got a menu of, of your teams and your newest created teams always goes to the bottom of the list. And you have to kind of manually move them around. You can't kind of auto change them. So people don't know how to leave teams. They don't know how to hide teams. So then it all gets more and more confusing in this kind of world. You're kind of wading through this list to try and find out which is the right team. Then you've got that issue of, people inadvertently posting the wrong information to the wrong team and then you kind of got that data overexposure you know issue as well so kind of a, it's we need a process of tidying it up and that's really really hard because people don't know exactly what to do so it's all part of this kind of governance journey is you know when do you create a team so if you can get the rules right to start off with you create less teams Mm. Then you've got to have a defined purpose, a defined end for that team. If it's an operational team, well, that team stays there as long as the marketing or the HR or the IT department. But actually, a lot of the teams are there for a project or an activity-based task. There needs to be a clear goal that when that activity finished, something should happen to that team. Mm. And, and that's where the, the, the processes are. Uh, immature within Microsoft and you really need to start looking at kind of third-party products to, to, to manage that. So yeah, I spend a lot of time with organizations thinking about that, that whole kind of data life cycle. What are you going to do with data? How can you tidy it up? Yeah, I'm thinking about examples from previous companies that I've worked with that did implement Teams. Um, there was, and I was hoping some of the, like at least the Teams trainings to get people familiar with it. I wasn't in IT. It was just we had teams, people didn't know how to use it. We uh, we had some leadership that was like, okay, we're gonna create you know teams for you know every department. Cause I was like, okay, that seems like a good idea. But then they wanted to add everybody from the entire like company from the site in each department team. And I was like, ooh, that doesn't sound great. And it, it was it was a big mess. And then somebody who hadn't been attending trainings went to a couple of teams that they didn't think that they needed. Uh, and started deleting channels, think it was hiding the channels instead. So yeah. what you're saying is is completely and utterly accurate that you do need to have some sort of guidances to tell people 
what to do and what what not to do. It, there was I remember an email being sent out, and they're like, "Hey, our our channel is missing. Can you can you help us?" And I was like, "I mean, I don't I don't work in IT, so probably <laughs> not." But then you could go and see in the channel. It says so and so has deleted the channel, and we had a good laugh about that. Um, but it, it <laughs> yeah. really could have been critical information, right? Yeah. That was yeah, deleted and, it does and couldn't happen. be restored. <laughs> yeah, and it's you know you can only recover it for thirty days. So if somebody doesn't notice until day thirty-one, right. sorry, it, you know it's gone. And for me, another a really good analogy. Thinking about that, it's like when you learn to drive, you don't just get into a car. You're not given the keys and say off you go. For me, that's like creating a, a, a kind of a team. You're just given yeah. the car keys mm-hmm. and off you go. You know you've got to learn that theory book. You've got to pass that theory test. So that's the equivalent of kind of having that training and different training for the different roles. Are you just a member of the team or are you the owner? If you're the owner of the team, you're accountable for the life cycle of that team. Who's in the teams, what you're doing with the data and importantly, moving those, those important artifacts out of the team before it's kind of closed down. And yeah, it's I think a lot of it people <clears throat> had to rush to implement teams with the, the pandemic. Yes. So I think, yes. the, you know, it, they just had to use it. So now I think two years later, you know, you've got this situation with so many teams. The other issue you've got is um, you can create teams with the same name. There's nothing mm. to stop you doing that, either from an end user or the, or the admin centers. It'll quite happily mm. let you create teams, you know, finance, you know, and then somebody Payroll. else comes along and creates a term, <laughs> finance. Yeah. Yeah. And the kind of a true story I had is a UK university and they had a team called finance for the finance team that dealt with the finances for the university. Some students were on a finance course and they created a team called finance for the students working on their finance degree. Somebody was working on uh, pay for some university lecturers, wanted to put it into the right team, obviously had a look around and do a search. And if the teams are public, you can see them, found this team, posted the information. Of course, it was on the wrong team. Oh, my goodness. So it's having, I think, you know, that that rule book, you know, to stop the chaos, really. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, um, you think of most things in life, we have some sort of rule book. If we're doing cooking, we follow the cookery book and the instructions. We don't just randomly throw things out of our fridge into the frying pan and hope it yeah. works. Definitely. I think there's a good balance as well when you said we don't want people to, you know, we don't want shadow IT. People can't go in and create a team. They'll go and create a WhatsApp group and you can't manage it. So I know that you do a lot of speaking slots and there's blogs that you've written as well, which are amazing, talking about creating a bit of a team request process that Mm. is automated with Power Automate. So people have that autonomy to go in and request for a team to be created. They can say why they need the team. They can maybe use a template and, you know, it's a project team or whatever it may be. And that can go through an approval process. And that team then, if it's approved, can automatically be created. So there's all of these tools in most Office 365 licenses that can just help give users a bit of a way to create their own space, but at the same time, not, yeah, allow them to, or even things like naming conventions, maybe block some payroll and (laughs) HR names from being uh, created in there as well. Um, There was something I did want to ask actually, since it was announced like the other day, 
What do you think about the new names for Microsoft Compliance? Microsoft Purview. Yeah, I was just talking (laughs) about this uh, just earlier on. And I said, oh, you'll have to go back and change all your information. And are you going to talk about it? But actually, from an end user viewpoint, if you started talking about Purview, what does the word Purview mean? It's kind of this. So I think we're going to be still talking about compliance because that's a word that business people use so yeah. I think kind of the, the the purview is obviously the suite of the applications that help you implement the stuff um, hmm. yeah I, I suppose I it, it's, it's broadening it out isn't it it's trying to with a, like, a lot of these products you know it's it's wider than Microsoft 365 now isn't it the the, mm-hmm. the controls and applications you, you're extending into the world of Azure you're extending into the, the world of um, kind of other data cloud uh, sources as well. So I suppose trying to make it, obviously it's a Microsoft product, but more um, product agnostic because it can, uh, it scopes wider. I think that's Uh, a really good point. Yeah, the product agnostic. Oh, sorry. I was, uh, I think that's okay. There's a big delay, I think. <laughs> That's okay. It's like a live demo, right? Like things happen and yeah. don't quite work out. Uh, I was gonna say, I, I, as I've been seeing like screenshots of, you know, because I know Pete, he put out the screenshot of the the name convention change. And as someone who works in, I work in Power Platform, so cloud technology too. It is helpful to see that this also applies maybe to me um, because when I see things like M three six five any dynamics, it, I always think it's a siloed and maybe our products aren't as siloed anymore and they're encompassing more. So I don't really know a lot about security and compliance. Like I talk to clients about like, ah, you need to have that. This is something newer for me, but I like the idea of, oh, somebody's not going to get confused because it says M365 when they're dealing with, you know, Mm. Azure Mm. um, instead. So i from a person who's like newer into tech, I would say that helps me a little bit. So I like the idea. I don't know if that's the general consensus though. Yeah, yeah. I think it's good that they're, they're putting a lot of emphasis on it. And I think, um, uh, yeah, it's important that people understand what those compliance uh, tools are. I think it's still confusing for the, the, the end users because you've got all of this wonderful stuff, but actually a lot of it, you do need those kind of E5 licenses and only a very small percentage of organizations probably less than 10 percent of all organizations Mm. invest in those e5 licenses so it's kind of making it scalable really and i think that's where we can help translate the the technical microsoft documentation into you know if you're if you're in uh the, the business premium licenses which are the largest number of organizations the smaller organizations you can get this far with it you know, if you invest yeah. and you've got these other ones, these, the, the add-on. So it's trying to, yeah, again, it's that translator role is you, you've got all of these features and functionalities, whatever the names are that, that Microsoft have, and then translate them into what does it mean for me as a business? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think that I could see why they've done it. I've seen people absolutely just saying it's a nightmare and some people saying it's, yeah, it's, it makes sense. I think it makes sense like they do with the Defender suite, um, yeah. customers get confused. It's easier to say, let's talk about 
Microsoft Purview, let's talk about, and, and it means one thing rather than the different features and information protection, information, and it just was confusing. It was talking to customers about it. So yeah, I'm for change. Um, so we'll we'll see how that develops. Um, I did want to ask and talk about, because uh, you mentioned MVP, woo! Um, <laughs> so I did want to talk about uh, your MVP journey. First of all, congratulations. Um, amazing to be MVP and uh, very well deserved, 100%. Um, what's your, I know we became MVP at a very similar time. So it'd be interesting to know what your journey's been like so far um you know since becoming mvp yeah. has things changed a lot not a lot be good to know um i don't think things have, have changed that much yet so i think the good thing i think once you're an mvp you're close to microsoft so sometimes the things that you you're doing it's getting an idea of what's coming on in the roadmap and how things work and if you've got a question you can kind of post it there and they've got experts and um um, and people to help you and I think it's just good to be able to work with other like-minded people people that are really passionate about it and you know I'm always believer of kind of working collaboratively with people for the greater good sort of thing so you know so I'm starting a, a podcast uh, shortly um, on sort of a compliance I'm going to be um, with Kat and we're, we're going to be writing a book with some other uh, people as well for our sins, yeah, on compliance. Yes. We're going to have yeah. to change the name of the book. I was just thinking about that. I was going to put a post yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. We were talking about what's the title, what's going to be the content, you know, what's the scope? And then, of course, the, the names change. So I was changed, thinking, thank yeah. God we hadn't written half of it. <laughs> we're to the beginning of our journey. We had, um, we had some guests on maybe earlier this year who were talking about writing books for taking like a, one of the security certification courses and something similar happened where there are some name changes and or, or content changes for the exam. And then it was like, oh, well, we wrote the book. I guess we're just going to have to go through and, you know, find yeah. and replace everything yeah. or redo a chapter or eliminate a chapter, just decide we're going to put it in a different version of the book. So. Yeah. And I think kind of the books is almost the wrong kind of word for it because you expect a book to be something printed and something that's going to have longevity in it mm. but mm. yeah with microsoft 365 it's changing i tell you it's changing mm -hmm. so fast that you can't have these things in in printed form because they just get dated so so quickly so it needs yeah. to be something that's in a modular fashion something that is just online that you can quickly go through and, and adapt and change and build as needed so, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's kind of a, a different process. So it's more like it's a subscription model rather than a, a yeah. one-off book purchase. Okay. Yeah, I think that's, that's a good exciting. <laughs> what, what about the, the podcast, the compliance podcast you mentioned? What's, what is that? Where, when is it available? Where? <laughs> well, we haven't started it yet. So okay. it's going to be um, uh, um all about sort of compliance and it's we're going to try and target it more for the i suppose the the end user rather than the it people what how can i use the tools within microsoft to help support my compliance journey and the the different um tools that we've got and the idea is to to look at different areas on each podcast looking at some sort of uh, user stories that we have on that to actually say, how can we 
tackle that problem you know and how can we, we solve that so um i'm oh. actually doing the <clears throat> podcast uh with uh, ryan murphy so he actually works for a company called um, epic and they work for kind of really large corporate like banking really regulated industries whereas mm. i'm coming from it on a different thing working with organizations small medium and large but probably less regulated so mm. we'll be able to kind of get those case studies from you kind of your small company where you've got a very small it department right through to you know a uh, global organizations corporate organizations and and how we can work that and so that's nice. we sh haven't actually recorded the first episode yet so that should be very soon Amazing. I like um, that. I like that you've done the other end of it. Not many people when it comes to compliance look at it from the end user perspective. It's all about how do we implement this stuff and where do we start than how are our users actually going to consume this technology? That's a very important part that we're relying on. <laughs> how are they going to use it? Yeah, yeah. And then I think that kind of the danger is that w when we work kind of so close with all the technology, a lot of the information is written by IT people for IT people. Yeah. Um, so we're kind of learning from each other, but we all have kind of quite a good base to work on. It's how do we get outside of our kind of our LinkedIn and our Twitter bases, which tend to be, you know, more people within the industry. How do we get out there to that, that what the wider audience and really help the people and say, well, this is how you can use technology get people to to understand that they don't necessarily need to go out and buy other products to to do stuff um, and kind of yeah. look within the existing product sets that they have. Definitely. I think that's really exciting. What's the podcast going to be called? Or is there a name yet? <laughs> um, I'm not sure. <laughs> You'll probably do uh -oh. the first episode and it will come to you. Do you know when you like yeah, write something, yeah. a blog, and then you're like, okay, they'll be called this. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, so we're probably, I can't remember whether we sorted out a name or not. So, um, yeah, I'm just the co-host on it. So we'll it should be good. We'll keep an eye so. out. Yeah, we'll keep yeah, an eye yeah. out. Yeah, so definitely. hopefully it'll be out soon in, uh, yeah, next month because we're nearly at the end of April now. So Amazing. And you've got lots of speaking slots as well in terms of, like, your community, yes. everything that you're doing there, lots and lots of speaking slots. I see you pop up everywhere. <laughs> um, and um, you're doing a couple in person, Commsverse we mentioned. Is there any other ones you're doing in person? Are you going to Scottish Summit or any other ones? No, I'm not doing Scottish Summit, so I'm, I'm away then. Um, hopefully I'll go to South Coast Summit, so um, I'm volunteering there, so I know I'll be there in person. They haven't done the call for speakers yet, so yeah, um, I, I went there last year. So. Yeah, it's nice to go to some in-person uh, events yeah. and kind of socialise because I find that you kind of there's pros and cons really with both. I find that the online events, I say, oh look at this load great speakers and all of these different sessions, and I book it in my calendar, and then a work meeting comes in, yes. and then you end up not actually spending time. You you go to that the, the session for your slot and you speak about what you're doing and do the question and answers, but then quite often you're dragged away by other things. So I found the kind of best way to get around that is um, I've helped support, um, moderate some of the, the conferences. So you're forced then, aren't you, to block your whole calendar out. And that's a definite day out of my calendar because I'm actually moderating the whole whole event. Yeah. So I think that's the downside. I mean, the positive side is you get to speak to a wider group of people. 
um, because you can go to an, an event, present an event in, you know, Australia or America or, or India, et cetera. It's so much easier. But, you know, the, the benefits of the, um, I think, in-person events is that you've got that opportunity to go and listen to all the events. You, you, you've taken the day out, so you're going to be there. Your opportunity to speak and socialise with other people as well. Yeah, um, and I think that's important when I'm based at home. Otherwise, I don't speak to anyone in person. <laughs> I know you're becoming a her we all become hermits in our rooms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to go see somebody. Um, I yeah. I think that we had the conversation with a customer actually, and I have not done an in-person workshop with a customer where I'm on site for the day or a couple of days in a long time, and in mm. like maybe even like a year, <laughs> like it's been a lot. We offer it out to customers um, if they're comfortable and nobody, everybody's in different locations. So it's very, mm. it's not very often we go in person. They were kind of saying, let's, let's do this one that we're going to do as a Viva one. Let's do it in person because I'm going to, they admitted, they're like, I'm going to, you know, I'm a terrible one for zoning out and just doing other work when there's a team's meeting going on. I'll turn off my camera yeah. and I'm yeah. just not there. I've joined, but I'm not an active, even an active listener. So mm -hmm. to be taken out of, you know, the distraction and just put in the place where you can sit, you can listen, you can, you know, network and interact. You you get a lot more from it than you would in a remote setting, I would say. Um, do, you, do you prefer like presenting in person or online in terms of you as a speaker? Do you have a preference? Um, not particularly, no. I think you get better engagement because you can read the room. As you're saying, you know, you're presenting at an event and you can see that there's 20 or 50 or 100 people online. And just as you said, Kat, are those people really there? You know, yeah. <laughs> you'll see people flipping in and out or they're on their phones or, the, or they're doing anything and then sometimes you get that awful deadly silence at the end you know any questions and there's nothing does that mean yeah. I bored them silly or does it does it mean my presentation was good enough I answered uh, all the questions that I expected them to answer you don't know or are they you know not really there they're doing something else and I think that's where the role of the moderator comes in it's really really important so I know when I moderate event I always make sure that I'm actively listening and trying to think of all the questions that people might ask and again start that that dialogue off because then suddenly people then think oh yes maybe I do have a question um whereas it's, it's much easier I think that kind of Q&A and interaction in an in-person event even if the person doesn't actually want to ask the question there they can always come up after after the event and you've spoken yeah. and I find that happens quite a lot people come up and said oh I like that session I've got a particular question on x y and z and then you can kind of follow up now I'm getting really excited to be in person <laughs> <laughs> are you going to any in-person ones as you're just out of interest is there any yeah I think when we had uh Pragity on um so I'm doing Dynamics Con live um in Texas in the fall so oh, that'll be in, nice. in September That'll, that'll be my first in-person conference. Everything else has been virtual. So yeah. it'll be a very, very different experience. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And I've been doing in-person customer engagements over the past like month and a half or so, mm. which that is also just new to me in general, but I found it very enjoyable to sit down and work through problems with people in the room and actually see them react to it, right? Because like you, 
you were saying, Nikki, that you're like, oh, I can't quite tell like through a screen, especially when there's no video either, how people are really feeling about the topic. And I found it, it's, it, it feels much more approachable. I think that people are more willing to ask questions, um, voice their concerns more readily maybe than over you know, like a, like a team's call, at least I feel a bit more comfortable, I would say in, in a room. Cause you can, you can tell like, do I need to assuage people's fears or do I need to push them a little bit to, you know, like make a decision. Um, but yeah, when there's just silence on the other end of the line, you're like, well, I, I don't really know what to do with that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think it's, um, scarier doing it in person. So even a customer meeting in person, um it, my I get nervous so much like I, I've been doing this for six years and I still get nervous doing workshops or any presentations or even like calls and stuff but in person I always think oh my god I'm gonna be sick <laughs> with the nerves yeah. so much whereas online I feel like there's a little protection there um I I get more of a buzz though in person definitely after you've done it and you're just like oh, my goodness what a feeling is yeah you can't beat it so mm. I think there's a balance of both definitely um I did want to go off topic a little bit on you know outside of tech and outside of you know what we're doing in the community what do you like to do in your spare time do you have hobbies or anything like that yeah I'm, I'm afraid one of my hobbies is Microsoft so I'm one of these people <laughs> I'm a person that doesn't sleep very much. I'm up until probably about two o'clock every night, maybe three. And goodness, quite often I'll, I'll still be on my computer learning something. So, um, yeah, I spend a, a lot of time, say, on computers. I don't really watch TV very much. Um, so I go to quizzes. So, um, yeah, I used to go to like a, a pub quiz and then the pandemic hit. So they all became online quizzes. So we're still mm. doing the online quizzes and I do the pub quizzes as well. So that's quite a, a good thing. So the online ones, I've got my parents involved in it and they're ratings. Oh. So they're all up to speed with teams now and know exactly what they're doing <laughs> after two years. Um, but yeah, it's, it's quite good social and I really enjoy music as well. So that was, for me was the biggest thing that I missed, the, the music, listening to good music and dancing. You know, that that kind of, you get that real good vibes and you kind of the adrenaline goings and the, you know, and it just makes you feel so good. So yeah, I've got some um, events coming up. This tells me how old I am. I was like, I'm going to see the, 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 the Scatterlights in like two weeks time. So that's like all the Scar type of uh, music. I'm going to see oh, Nile yeah. Rogers and Chic. So that's kind of the whole disco stuff. That would be amazing. And I've got Hyde Park. I'm going to go and see Duran Duran. And I think uh, nice. uh, Nile Rogers is on that one as well. So they're my, my big ones. But also I like to go just to the local pub or something when they've got the, the, the bands on as well. And, yeah, that's kind of how I let my hair down, I think. Nikki, what kind of music uh, do you like to dance to? What's your what's your style? Do you have a style for dancing? Um, I don't know, anything that makes me feel good. So, um, yeah, I mean, I was kind of, a, I suppose, an 80s girl at heart. That's when I was at school, so or 70s, 80s. So I still like the, the the disco type stuff. But I also like some of the dance stuff, so some of the, the trancey type music, like yeah. Tiesto and stuff okay. like that. So that type of music I like. And anything that makes me feel good. So, um, yeah, anything that's got a good beat. 
And, yeah, we're gonna uh, see yeah, Nikki I'll, at the rave. On that dance floor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, okay, Nikki, we're gonna go to Coachella next year, or yeah. to like yeah. an EDM festival. Let's go. I'm ready. I'd love to go to Ibiza. I'm still uh, not oh been to God, some of the clubs there. I'd that'd be really cool to do some of that. Oh my goodness, amazing. But, yeah, brilliant. too old to do all the tents and stuff like that in the in the UK. Um, yeah. <laughs> goodness me, that's so good. Yeah, I'm not. My mum, I guess, I'm sorry, I don't know if you can say, my mum listens to disco um, and she's a big fan. Um, she's a big fan of Duran Duran as well. Um, so I've, yeah, listened. I'd say I, I, my preference is not as dancey. I'm more of a metal <laughs> type of person. So I like, I'm really happy that there's loads of gigs and things back on. So there's loads of metal gigs that we typically go to, um, which I'm just so happy they're they're back. I think that's one thing we... Because we didn't go to a gig and we used to go to them quite frequently and we just didn't that um, experience of live music is just you yeah. can't beat it and i think yeah. the last time i went or the last gig we went to was we went to download festival which was the tents and the camping but luckily our friends had a camper van so we didn't have to do the tents thank goodness <laughs> so i'm like you nikki i don't think i'm a fan of that um but yeah and that was i think in like 2018 or 19 it was quite mm -hmm. a long time ago so yeah really excited to see the live music again i went to a concert two weeks ago ish so the um kennedy center here which is a performance hall in dc had big big mingus band playing so charles mingus he was a jazz instrumentalist um wow. he passed away like in the 70s but his wife has kept this band going um and some of these gentlemen are now in their 90s who used to play oh with God. mingus when he was younger um, and I happened to score tickets like for a date and we went, you know, went all masked up and everything. And it turned out to be like the centennial anniversary of Mingus and everything. And they were like recording and we got third row seats. And it was just, oh my I hadn't gosh. felt like that in a long time. Um, like I, I play cello, uh, the guy that I went with, he plays trombone. So there was just like this nice musical kind of connection oh. going on you know, not only apart from just like, ah, being there and enjoying the experience, but like seeing instrumentalists and whatnot and being so close and jazz is a lot of fun to me. Uh, I like, I'm a classical musician, but I still think jazz really has it together. Like the shows are just really fun and they're yelling at each other and there's, you know, poetry, like slam poetry in there too. And it was just, it was, it was a great time. It was a really great time. I've missed live music too. <laughs> And I think what I like to do, particularly like with the, the, the local bands, is to go and try out different music. You know, you can go mm -hmm. to a gig and you think, oh, I didn't really like that. But you might find something that you you do kind of think, oh, that's really good. I want to follow up and do more of that. Whereas you probably wouldn't spend a lot of money going to a big event. And I think also with the big events, sometimes you're just so far away. You know, you see these little dots and you think, is that that person? And I'm only really tiny. <laughs> so I'm only kind of five foot, so that's 152 centimetres. So, you know, you've always got, everybody's taller than me anyway. So if yeah. you're at a live gig and you're standing up, you can't really see so much mm -hmm. of the, the, the big venues. So, yeah, the smaller ones, I tend to find uh, yeah. a, a better and more intimate. You get yeah. that vibe. Yes, you do. I have a girlfriend who pre-pandemic, she just loves live music. And so there's a concert venue, like an outdoor concert venue, and the tickets would be like $30. And she just snagged a bunch of them and was like, do you want to go? You know, if we found artists that we liked or she would take somebody else, but I was like, ah, that's not quite my cup of tea. Uh, but I, I always loved how she was just very adventurous in, in that respect. 
And so summers are just concerts. I'm ready for that to come back. I don't know if it's going to be back this summer, but like, okay, I'll go. Just, just something to do. And it's nearby and you're outdoors and, and, and just. Yeah. So I'm going to Norway thing. soon for um, work. We're all meeting up in Norway. Plus um, Cloudway are sponsoring uh, an event there. So we're going to be working on the stands. But after that event, my husband's going to fly out and we're going to spend the weekend in Oslo. And they've got this live music weekend there where it's all like wow. free and the bars and they put music outside on stands and everything. I said, oh, we've got to stay for the weekend for that, you yeah. know, and just go around, have a few drinks, bite to eat, just listen to whatever different music they've got. Sounds great. Just be, yeah, yeah, just nice chilled out. Yeah, that sounds amazing. God, you're making me want to just go out to like a gig. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not go park now. <laughs> so ready for it in the hot weather as well. Oh my goodness. Your homework, your homework is Kat to go find something that's happening within the next like month or two. And yeah, it. yeah, definitely. I mean, we've got something in June, but yeah, I might not be able to wait that long. So we'll see. Um, but amazing. Um. Great. I think that's um, all we've got time for today on the show. Um, but it's been absolutely amazing um, to speak to you, Nikki, catch up with you as you're as well. Before we close out, is there anything uh, you want to leave the audience with, Nikki? Any last, I guess the last words, that's been on me. I know, goodness me. Um, yeah, is there anything, how could people get in touch with you and so on? Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, else? so I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter. So on Twitter, I'm Chapel Nikki, not the other way around. Uh, on LinkedIn, I'm Nikki Chapel. Also got a website, and believe it or not, it's called NikkiChapel.com. Um, so you, you can find me on there. So um, I'm speaking at lots of different events. I've got an event next Friday. So um, yeah, next Friday, where am I? at i've forgotten where i am it's the minnesota microsoft 365 user group so um let me just check what i'm actually doing um yeah i'm doing a, a, a kind of a deep dive demo on using power automate to manage your kind of microsoft 365 evergreen change so yeah so that, that's next it? friday if you want to kind of jump on there and then that kind of i suppose leads me to kind of i suppose the end and kind of my um view on Microsoft 365 that, you know, Microsoft 365 governance and compliance and productivity, it's not just a, pro uh, you know, a, a project. It is a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. It's a life cycle. It's forever changing. You're never going to get to the end. So when people say, when do we get to the end? It's not something you just switch on. So learning about and keeping up to date with Microsoft 365 and the changes and how you can use all of the wonderful technology you've got. There's so much in Microsoft 365. Um, yeah. It's a lifetime's work, I think, to understand it all. Definitely. Amazing. Thank you so much, Nikki. And we'll make sure and share the links uh, to your Twitter and LinkedIn in the notes underneath this video. So if you're watching at home, go click on those. Um, and the um, session that you're doing next week, I think, is well-timed with what we've talked about today as well in terms of using, you know, automating processes for gov mm -hmm. governance and compliance. Um, so check that out and follow us on Cloud Conversations on YouTube, we're on Spotify, Anchor, um, and our Twitter is at CloudCons365. So please like and share and subscribe if you haven't already. It all helps. Um, and that is it. Thank you so much for joining us, Nikki. Um, it was an absolute pleasure. 
And uh, I hope you guys have an amazing weekend and we'll chat to you soon. Thanks. Okay. Thank you for so much for having me. Bye. Bye.